Hello filmmakers, welcome to episode 10 of FNI Rap Chat. Uh, we have a lot of news actually this week. Uh, we are now on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict and Stitcher. So check us out. Yeah, we stitched all of our... Uh... <laughs> Fair we enough. stitched all of our uh, platforms, all of our listening platforms yes. together. Uh, you complained and we listened and <laughs> we sorted it out. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Um, so yeah, this is the this is Rap Chat with myself, uh, Paul Butler Lennox, and myself, Paul Webster. Uh, how have you been enjoying uh, the? Or have you been enjoying? How have you been? So how are you doing? <laughs> how have you been finding uh, the podcast? Let us know. Uh, FNI Rap Chat at gmail.com or leave comments on SoundCloud or wherever. Um, yeah, we want to hear from you. Oh, and subscribe, subscribe the shit out of the out of the out of the uh, yes. the old podcast room. That would be helpful. Yeah, we have a little bit of news from various different bits and pieces that have been coming in. Um, be sure to check out one of our previous podcasts with uh, Mia Malarkey. Episode uh, two, I think. Yeah. It's um yeah so Mia uh, has been what did what happened Mia she won Mia won so her film uh, Mother and Baby won best document best short documentary at Cork uh, weekend before last um we both saw it uh, just before she did the interview with us and uh, yeah fantastic piece of work oh, she's been lighting up festivals she's she won for her other short at Galway and she's getting honourable mentions all over yeah the she's a festival queen but not in a kind of diva way she's the, <laughs> she's the nicest <laughs> one of the nicest people you'll ever come across um, uh, yeah so today uh, welcome to a very nice no- this is a first of all we have to apologise because we um, you know like the like the nomads that we are we took um, uh, the podcast out to the Abbey Theatre today to interview a wonderful um Actor and altruistic, um, uh, I guess mentor. Uh, yeah, mentor, co- life coach, almost. <laughs> yeah, a wonderful human being by the name of Nick Dunning. Uh, he's a he's an actor. He's um, you might know him from some of his work. He's he's been in everything really. Um, because we're underneath the stage, you can hear the Lewis and you can hear all sorts of people coming in and out. So we apologise for that, but uh, we hope it doesn't. Uh, take away from such a, a wonderful conversation that it was. I, I definitely learned a lot from it. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a force of nature. Uh, so yeah, uh, Nick is in a show in the Abbey called Let the Right One In. It's based on the, the famous uh, Swedish uh, horror movie from a few years ago. It's brilliant, go and see it. It opened last week and it's run until, uh, I think, just up before Christmas, I think. Don't, yeah. don't hold me to that. And check out his IMDb. It just goes on for days and days, and he's worked with everyone. So, yeah, really, really useful uh, kind of information he was giving us. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, he's really brilliant, very humble, and it was mesmerising to have a conversation with him for a little while. So, yeah, let's go through it. Ticket, 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 that's me doing the music. Chair with uh, Paul Butler Lennox, uh, Paul Webster, and today we're very lucky to be joined by a wonderful actor by the name of Nick Dunning. Hello, Nick. Thanks a million. Hi, Paul. How are you? Uh, great. Pauls. Both, both Pauls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the two Pauls. Yeah. Uh, so you're uh, 
we're here in the dressing room of uh, the Abbey. Thanks very much for inviting us. Uh, could you tell us a bit about the show that you're in at the moment? Yeah, well, at the moment we're in, here we are, yeah, this is dressing room number one in the Abbey Theatre. And we're, uh, we're literally underneath the stage where we're putting on the show called Let the Right One In, which you guys or some of you, you know, your, your listeners may be familiar with the, the Swedish movie that was done. Yeah. Let the right one in, and there was apparently an American version as well, which I haven't seen, so I can't comment on that one. Yeah, it's but it's 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 okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what I hear. It's kind of okay because the Swedish one has this extraordinary kind of feel to it and vibe, and I hope that that's what we're creating with the stage show because it's um we're lit. There are actually some moments where I find myself in the wings at night, just sneaking through the wings, watching the audience's reaction because there's like quite a few places where I know there's going to be real surprises that are coming. And it's just so exciting just watching their faces. And it's that kind of childlike thing of, you know, people just being taken off onto a, in, into a journey, into a place they weren't expecting to go. Just when you thought it was safe to go back <laughs> in the water, something pops up. Yeah. It's great. Huh? Yeah, I, 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 I would imagine it's a show that, you know, translates very well to the stage. Sure, uh, because sure. it has a very um, kind of tangible uh, tone and energy. And it's... Um, Suspense, I guess. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, what what was it like interpreting a character uh, that someone else has already portrayed on stage? On stage in the movie? Well, I mean, yeah, the from the movie. Is, the, yeah, because the, the, well, the movie is different to the stage show. Because for obvious reasons, you know, movies can do certain things that stage shows can't. And stage shows can do things that movies can't. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the benefits of what it is that we do. Because... We utilize the whole theatrical experience in ways that you may not have seen, that are which I can't say too much about because if I do, you won't be surprised. <laughs> so you know, yeah. um, it's kind of like uh, it's interesting. But to take on the actual character itself, because the character that I played in the book, in the, in the novel originally, was a much darker character, mm. and in the Swedish movie, he's fairly dark, and in this one, he's fairly dark too. So. Um, Anyway, it's complex would be a way of describing it, I suppose. Okay. But it's been great fun trying to do it and trying to kind of like, you know, to engage the audience and to bring them on a journey with you so that they believe in it. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, to, to actually make a kind of horror fairy tale feel as if it's real and it's really happening is a little bit of a stretch for an actors, for actors these days. But we're helped so much by the music. We've got incredible music and an extraordinary set. Yeah. And the, the movement that, that happens in the show, we train for like an hour and a half every day. Oh my God. Uh, oh God, I mean, <laughs> we're still feeling the effects. Um, you know, we do, we do, also we do a yoga class every night before the show, about like half an hour. And we do like 20, 20 minutes of um, uh, vocal warm up. And then we do what we call fight call. You know, like <laughs> fight club, it's like fight call. Okay. So we, we do one of those and um, everybody comes along. We go through all the tricky things that we have to do and there's about 10 of them, and we do them as a group every single night mm-hmm. just for safety because it's kind of... Um, it sounds like a very physical show. It's a very physical show. I mean, more so for the 20, 25-year-olds than it is for me, it has <laughs> to be said. But, um, but certainly, yeah, yeah, we all do it. Uh, yeah, I, I'd just like to ask you just about your, your, your beginnings in acting. Um, why did you want to be an actor? Well, that, it's like, I don't know, I, I find this to be the case with most people, actually, is that, you know, that we always think there's a sort of logical progression. It never seems to happen like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was five, I lived in France for a year with my parents. My dad was a language teacher. 
and he went over to France and started teaching English to French people. And uh, so we went over there and I stayed there for a year and uh, when I was five I, I, I played my first role which was the Prince of the Fairies in Thumbelina. <laughs> Okay. I noticed you laughed there, Paul. Thanks very much. No, I'm, I'm sure it was. I'm sure you got excellent it reviews. Was, it was from then on. It's been kind of a, a downward slope. With, but that's what I, that's when I actually started without knowing anything about it. Years later, like like a lot of people, I did sort of school plays and things like that. Just got wowed by the whole thing, but never for a moment thought about it seriously. Never thought of it as a profession. Didn't even know that it was one. Mm. Then years later, I went to another school up in in Leicester because uh, I'm from London originally. And um, I went to to a school there, and they had a we had there was a couple of amazing teachers there. One guy, uh, Martin Riley, was this um, he was just a phenomenon, and <laughs> he sort of took us all down. We all reenacted the Canterbury Tales, and we all dressed up as the, as the pilgrims. We went to Canterbury, and we did performances of the plays. We walked along the actual walk that they walked on, dressed in the costumes that they wore performing in the language that they used. And it was, like, it was like kind of like a method immersion in sort of, you know, in, in, in uh, the Canterbury, Cathed uh, Canterbury Tales. And then we performed it outside Canterbury Cathedral. And that was where I started to go, oh, this is exciting. And again, it was a kind of like being in a group thing and kind of creating something. But I still didn't know what to do with it. And then years, well, probably a year or so after that, when I realized that academia and I were not going to meet <laughs> happily or healthily, um, I, I thought, what am I going to do? And I literally, I was going to be, you know, had nothing happening at all. And uh, this guy said, well, why didn't you try drama school? And I remember saying, what do you mean? <laughs> There's a school said, for Yeah, this? he said, well, why don't you audition for a drama school? I said, what's a drama school? I literally didn't, I had no idea, didn't yeah. know. So it was quite organic up yeah, to that point. totally organic, actually. So you felt, you, you, it sounds like you very much felt your way through it. Totally, because there's no, there's no real progression, there's no process, there's no particular rule, yeah. you know, for becoming an actor. Other people come in, in through different doors, yeah. so there's no, there's no one route. And it seems to be, when you talk to actors, that that's often what happens, is that they find themselves yeah. in it. Yeah. Particularly this business, I find it very unusual. Well, it's healthier, I would say, than maybe somebody so. who wants to be a star, and yeah. then acting is, is the medium to get there. Absolutely. So, you, I would say, see it more as a craft. Oh, I see it more as a kind of, it's more like a vocation for me, right. I suppose, but, but definitely a craft, definitely. Uh, yeah, because I think you do have to work at it, and you do have to kind of like keep yourself motivated and motivating towards things that you really want to do so that you're always feeling alive because that's the most important thing so that when you turn up that you are actually you know you can bring your life experience to what it is that you're doing yeah mm. so it's a double a double-edged thing of kind of this you know we've all you know going towards the goals that we all want about you know creating good work and working with good people and yeah. you know uh, making a living hopefully you know mm. that kind of thing yeah Plus, this kind of like making sure that your life is pretty much in balance as well. Right. Because for me, that's one of the dark sides of acting. How do you cope with that? Do you find it's it's um, it's difficult to to uh, get to, 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 to balance the scales? In it terms is. Of, I, from, it, I guess from a psychological point of view, but yeah. also, you know, from an, you know, just a practical point of view. I, I think those two, the two things go hand in hand. You need to be able to balance the practical side and the psychological side totally. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of sort of mental health, whatever that may mean. But uh, generally speaking, for me, I think it means things like taking care of yourself, looking after yourself, 
um, you know, uh, going for walks in the hills, you know, things like that, making yourself feel good, yeah. doing the things that you do that actually make that you like doing, yeah. then you feel better, then you're ready. The worst thing any actors can do, and I've done it, so I know all about it, is, is you know, you sit by the phone and you wait for the phone to ring and nothing happens. Yeah. And then you talk to your friend and nothing's happening for him or her as well. So you both agree how depressed and miserable you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, then you kind of go, okay, let's agree that we this we love this black hole. Let's dive in even deeper. And then, hey, well, let's have a drink as well. And then you go further down. <laughs> right. And if there, I don't know many actors who haven't been there. And I'm raising my hand at yeah. the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely, I... I, I yeah, I, I, I guess the trick is to not, to not to commiserate with yourself too much. Totally. The, yeah. the trick is to, is to engage with yourself, mm. to, to support yourself. And dare I use the word, to love and appreciate yourself. <laughs> yeah. right? no. Seriously, yeah. really. It really is that. And it, it's, it can be a little bit of a tricky thing to, yeah. to get through. And it's quite yeah. hard to do sometimes yeah. because yeah. it's a little bit kind of woo-woo, a bit yeah. sort of out there. But yeah, no, it's necessary. But, but it's vital because yeah. if you don't, then, then you fall prey to, to yeah. what else is... Yeah, uh, I guess it goes against that kind of stereotypical boozer, O'Toole, Burton yeah. school of acting where, you know, yeah. nothing affects us and, you know, kind of thing. That very select few are able for that. Yeah. Well, those select few were also movie stars. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they may have, uh, you know, been able to because they had maybe the money to do it and, yeah. and what have you. But th there's a lot of trail of misery around them. Of as course, well. and yeah. uh, a lot of the famous, those famous people you talk about, then they all had sons and daughters, some of whom we've all worked with, right? Who who are deeply, you know, troubled individuals. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, <laughs> yeah. You know, you you get what you. Yeah. What yeah you, you reap what you sow, most you certainly. Um, so I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about yeah. your 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 career. I mean, for want of a better term. I mean, you are a, you're a grafter. You know, you've worked. You consistently work, or you have done, or, or at least you're. You know, from what I know of you, and certainly from your IMDb, yeah. it's a type of resume. I'd just like to ask you about, um, just in terms of your your theatrical work, if I can just put it aside for one sec. But in terms of your early kind of work and your TV and and working your way up the ranks to getting bigger jobs and Eventually, you ended up obviously here. Um, are there any early jobs that were, were were seminal or important in terms of making you feel as if you were an actor early on? I, I think I. Or did you work with somebody and you went, okay, now I'm an actor? I, I think there are certainly times. I think that must be the case because I can certainly remember jobs when I was thinking, I haven't a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> so that must have been there must have been a time when I thought, sort of, oh yeah, this is okay because I feel I do feel okay now. I feel comfortable. Kind of like if you know someone says tomorrow I've got to go and do the film I'm I'm ha I'm happy with that I'm fine you know it doesn't it doesn't trouble me yeah you know I might be excited I might be anxious I might be all of that but I kind of go yeah no I can do that you know that's okay so there must have been a time when I didn't but I, I as seminal jobs I mean the firm was one of the first ones that was um uh, a film I did years ago with Anne Clark who was who passed away unfortunately with Gary Oldman was in the was the lead in it and that was a sort of football hooligan yeah film, I I've seen this and that, that was one of those films which really became... Because that was one of the ones where I w went up for that role, uh, the, the Gary Oldman okay. part. Yeah. And I remember talking to the director, Alan Clark, who did Scum and yeah. all these other... I mean, he was an amazing director, yeah. an incredible guy. And um, going up for that part and him saying to me while I was sitting there, you know, 
because uh, he's both like that, all right, uh, Nick. I definitely don't want one of those like kind of like you know Gary Oldman type kind of characters. <laughs> you know, we don't want that. We just don't want that kind. I want somebody new, somebody different, somebody young, somebody vital. This kind of thing, and of course they cast Gary Oldman, and uh, <laughs> and that's. Uh, uh, but then I went, oh shit! But I really enjoyed the the audition that I'd had with the guy. So I said to my agent, "Listen, I've got. I really want this job. I want to. I'm gonna. I, we've got. Can we? Can we see if there's something else in this? I love working with the guy. I've really got a buzz off him. Is there anything else? Can we go and see if there's something else? And then he, he let me read for something else. I read, but I, I persisted. Yeah. I, and that was a big big thing. Actually, now I look back on it, thinking, okay, I didn't take the no as a no, yeah. which you could do. Oh, I didn't get the big role I wanted. Yeah. But no, no, I want to be part of this. And then I tried to be part of that because it did seem bigger than me. Yeah. And it seemed important to me to, 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 to go after that. So you fought. did, absolutely. It's interesting. I was, watching this in, I was watching an interview with... Um, Madonna Ant writes letters. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Madonna writes letters. Yeah. So you've got to do this. You, this you, the, you know, it's vital that we you know, remember that we need to kind of like put ourselves out there. Yeah. And that can mean doing things that are a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it is a bit uncomfortable sometimes. But, you know, do we really want to live in the comfort zone all the time? No. Absolutely I don't not. think so. No. Yeah, it, it, I was watching an interview with Anthony Hopkins recently, and he was mm. saying, um, "If you any advice or life advice, because obviously he's getting on now and yeah. coming to the end of, uh, of his career." Yeah, not necessarily his life. <laughs> but you, I mean, the man, the man's eighty years of age. But yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah. "Have you one single piece of advice you'd give people from your life experiences?" Mm. And he was like, "To fight, mm. to fight. Mm. That's all." Mm. So yeah, ties very much in. With yeah, I think, I think, but 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 when you say to fight, like that that it maybe sounds aggressive, and I don't think it needs to be that, mm. because fighting for something that you want is more about kind of like you know seeing it happening, mm -hmm. and just following it and going after it. I mean, uh, that that may have been the way that that that, that he that it works for him, and that um, well, clearly it's worked for him, you know, no doubt about it. Um, to me, fighting for something. Is is a little bit um, uh, a little bit. It's, I mean, it's important to make sure that you keep that sort of uh, sense of things, um, you know, uh, kind of working. That was uh, just so that we uh, noticed. Yeah, just give it a bit that of context. Was, uh, Craig Connolly, the the actor, coming into his dressing room, even though he was it was mentioned to him yesterday that this would be happening. <laughs> uh, no, that's no problem. These things happen. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Yeah, and it, it, just to touch on, I mean, uh, to kick on. Um, yeah, you, you're a purveyor of positivity um, through some of your other work, your altruistic work and uh, in terms of helping other actors and, and imparting advice and wisdom and so on. Is visualisation of success a, a, a big part of how you operate? Absolutely. Um, the, the reason I do that is because it works. There's no other reason. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I, I first came across it, I, I trained in NLP, as you know, but to be honest, it, it, I, I kind of... That's all sort of like part of me now. It's not really something I focus on that much, mm -hmm. but it's still there. But visualization is really just imagination. And it's actually believing in something and knowing that when you follow something that you believe in and that you can really see and experience it as if it's happening right here, right now, mm -hmm. then it becomes real. Right? It's like, 
this, this is without getting too complex, you know, there's no such thing as the past and there's no such thing as the future. None of them, neither of them exist. Because if I said to you, what did you do yesterday? You have to think to a place inside your mind right now to try and locate something you were doing yesterday. Or if I say, imagine in the future coming up, you have to start to create something right now. There is only ever the now. There's only ever this moment in time. So when you start to create and use your mind, which is designed to work specifically for you, to support you and to help you to achieve anything you've ever wanted, then it seems natural to me that you follow along with that. A lot of people don't really believe that just by, vi you know, there's a, you know, if I just stick a few pictures of a Ferrari on the notice board, that, that means I'm going to get one. That's not the way it works, in my experience. I don't think, I'm not a great believer in the whole, you know, the secret, you know. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth inside it, but I don't think this thing of, you know, uh, ask and, and you get it, actually happens. You know, if I visualize a major motion picture career, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to have it. Because there's going to be, you've got to have a progression of experience that goes along with that. There's no magic bullet. You have to work your way up these things. It's just the way it is. Mm. Could you talk a little bit about mm. um, the relationship between the director and the actor and yeah. what you see as what makes a good director and what maybe some advice for uh, what directors shouldn't do and that kind of thing? For director, you mean, are you talking specifically about TV or, or theatre? Or um, mainly TV and film. Well, yeah. TV and film, interestingly enough, the last four directors I've worked with have been women. That's okay. one of the most interesting changes. And that's a good thing. And that is a good thing. It is a good thing. Yes. And it's very, very different as well. It's very interesting to, to, to experience, you know. Um, I just did Little Women for BBC, and Vanessa Carswell directed that. Right. And that was a completely different approach. Working with um, the wonderful Lisa James Larson, we just did Striking Out for, oh, yeah. for RTE. Yeah. And she's a uh, Swedish director. She's just fantastic. And uh, with Frida Vendel as well, who's her DOP, the def uh, you know female DOP, yeah. and the producers are women, and, and you know, right. and the whole environment, the whole atmosphere was completely different. It was about everybody said, "What can I do to help you to get what it is you want?" When when, when you say different, <coughs> in what way was it different? Well, I think literally that you know, if you there, there was it was you calmer, know, f calmer. Uh, you know, first assistants can get a bit. Yeah. Okay, everyone. You're right, time now. Come on, let's get. You know, that kind of like, and it makes people panic, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, and we all know Clint Eastwood says nothing. Clint Eastwood doesn't say action anymore. Uh, did you know? I don't mm -hmm. know. No, I've heard that. Yeah, when you're ready, you're in your own time. Yeah, yeah so let's go. Yeah, let's okay. go. Yeah. yeah. And it makes you just stay in the end, stay in the, in the zone and be able to talk to each other. Very much more like that. That kind of an atmosphere itself, I find gentler, more calming, more reassuring, more engaging. And more exciting. Okay. So you know, I yeah, mean, it's that. Yeah. So for me, this whole thing of what it is that, that that directors can do, the director's job for me is to facilitate me to be the best I can possibly be. Yeah. And that means me being as humble as I possibly can to hear some of the things I may not want to hear okay. to achieve that. So it's a kind of a balance mm. sometimes between being, you know, uh, it's always a tricky one because. You've got to be proactive as an actor, but you don't want to be so proactive you make the director feel irrelevant. Yeah. 
So it's like leaving a space so that you can share the space between you, so that you know you're both actually creating something. Okay. And then when the directors, I th for me it's a win-win situation. I want to give them what they want, and I want them to give me what I want. That's the way I yeah. kind of frame it, really. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it does. No, absolutely <laughs> very much so. I was yeah, just thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and work, I, I would say, for like young actors, do you see yeah. a difference? Is there new challenges? Um, many, many, many new challenges. I mean, the biggest challenge is self-taping. I mean, okay. that's the biggest thing at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm I, on my site. Uh, I, I run a site, and I'm, I've just created a course about self-taping because it, it is such a challenge. Yeah. Um, and it became a challenge to me, which is why I had to do something about it. Um, I, I started up about two, probably probably two years ago. I got to do the, the pilot season for Eras. Yeah. And because uh, you probably know that you don't you don't go to LA necessarily so much anymore as as, as you used to. Right. You know that the, they come here now, and you can. Or, send in a self-tape for yeah. American shows and big shows and all that and I had nine self-tapes to do in ten days and it was like <laughs> and I had and there were not, each one of them had three three scenes and each scene was three pages long okay and I had to do all this and round about when I got the shows like Genius you know Ron Howard's yeah, Genius yeah it's a fantastic show The Alienist there's another one that's shooting fairly soon um into the Badlands was one of the shows that oh, I went yeah. up for because originally it was out in LA when it was first season okay. out there. Now it's over here, yeah. but then it was there. And I was like, I'm round about the fifth thing I got. To, I just didn't know who I was anymore. Right. I, I my brain was overwhelmed. Yeah. I was overloaded. I started. I remember I started to do things. There was one. Um, Oh, it was a sort of a police situation, something like that. And I remember trying to turn my kitchen into a police station. <laughs> I'd actually gone that mad. And I, you know, lit, I thought, what's the best way I can use the fridge to make it look yeah. like, you know, it yeah. was Using cling film rolls. Using cling, yeah, was, and absolutely. Yeah. I, and it was just, and I thought, hold on a minute, this is nuts. Yeah. And then I got the big wake up call. I didn't get a single one of them, not one, not right. one, nothing. And I didn't get any feedback. I, did, I asked my agent, you know, find out why, what's happening, what do we, what, what do, we do? Nothing, not a thing. Now that's not uncommon. I'm mm, sure of most of us know that you don't get things coming back often. You don't often get feedback. But I thought to myself, there's something wrong. What I'm doing is wrong, somehow. In te technically, well, or this this is what I started to look into. So I looked into the whole thing, and I came up with after sort of like seven or eight months of looking into what was going on, that there are four principles of self-taping. Mm -hmm. The first one is the producer's POV. What it is that they're looking for, called the four P's, right? So it's the producer's uh, POV, what they're looking for. So if you can match what they're looking for, then you're more than likely going to get the job. But your self-tape has to do something very powerful. It has to change the, the energy in the room. Because self, because uh, casting directors, I don't know if you've ever been into a busy casting directing office when you know they're in the middle of casting something. Yeah, they, I am. They can, well, you know what it's like. You I'm, I'm usually straight back out, though. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you see what it's like. Yeah, it can yeah, be yeah. like it's, fr it's frenetic. It's frenetic. And there can be 20, 30 people all rushing around. Yeah. And that's what your self tape is looked at. That's the environment your yeah. self tape is often looked at in. So your self tape has to go yeah. bang. It's got to pull them out, it's got to get them to focus in a new way. Now, I don't mean by you know going doing something surprising, yeah. but it has to have something that's going to stop them to stop their pattern and interrupt what it is that they're doing. You've got to be able to grab their attention. 
So that's the first important thing. And then the next one is perform is sorry production, which is all to do with cameras and lights and backgrounds and what have you. And in America, the casting directors uh, recommend a different color background to the ones we use over here. In America, they recommend mid blue. That's the color that they use for you know for um, self tapes. So if you're going up for an American uh, show. It's a good idea to have a sort of mid-blue background. Now, does this mean it's going to get you the job? No. Mm -hmm. But it's just a little subliminal hint that you know what you're doing. Okay. And it can add to whatever your performance is. Uh, we were talking before this podcast about microphones, how important microphones are to what it is that you do. And that a movie is never actually made until the sound is added. Um, and that is absolutely the same with you know with self tapes. If you can get um, a decent microphone uh, on my site, I give out a, a sort of a thing called the iPhone Buyer's Guide, which is a, a kind of guide of all the stuff I use for stuff. You know, and it's it's totally free. Mm -hmm. So if anyone wants it, they can just drop me a line. Um, and uh, in it, you can get things like the there's the the lavalier microphone from Amazon, and it's like 20, 20 euros, something like that. Mm. And it will double the effectiveness of your just the sound quality that you use. And it's particularly useful for women, oddly enough, because it's the the, the place that you um, put the microphone is just round about your sort of sternum area, and that's where you resonate most. So your your deeper tones will be picked up, mm. and women tend to have slightly higher voices and tend to obviously not all women some women yeah. have, you know but but sometimes they they can they can sound a little high in the way that they come across so using a lavalier microphone pinned just on the sternum is a really powerful place for, for a woman to give much more resonance then yeah. the, the last two things is, is your psychology the PV of psychology your mindset how you approach these the um, the self tape you know are you in because um, the way I look at it and came to the realization was because when we go on a film set and there's all those other people around and people giving you cups of tea and the lights are coming in and the cameras are moving around and you feel the dollies coming in there's this huge kind of theatrical excitement about you know we're getting ready to shoot something here and that level of energy is so kind of like you know engaging and electric that's the kind of level of energy you've got to get to because that's the what level of energy you use when you're performing is there a term to describe that collective I, energy? I would call it that well as a collective energy that's what we were talking that's a slightly different thing actually yeah, what yeah. we're talking about i'll come back to that that's the, the unified field that's a different thing but this energy level the energy level that you perform at Generally speaking, when you're at home in your kitchen and you've got your iPhone and your dogs and you're thinking, shall I get uh, this, shall I watch TV or not, oh, but I better do this, your le energy level is generally a little bit lower. And so what you shoot is generally lower than what you do when you're on a set. And there's something interesting in that. So it's important to raise your energy level so that you're... You, you literally so that you make a kind of an energetic connection with the casting director because when you see that you know yourself when you see you know when you see something you kind of go oh you just it just has that kind of a wake-up call and that's what you need to do with it with self-tapes and the final thing is is literally is the performance itself the sides you've got to break down sides so that you know the beginning the middle and the end of the sides because sides are always sent out for a reason because they're trying to see what your response is going to be to this particular role. 
They want to know what it is that you can do mm-hmm. that's different to what everybody else does. Because they know what everybody else does. Mm. Uh, the example I often give is like, you know, of a, if you're um, playing a doctor and the doctor fancies the nurse um, and that's the scene and he comes and goes, hello. Um, everyone is going to play the scene like that. They're going to come in and just, hello, you, you look, how are you today? Looking at the chart and the smile and yes, and you hope the woman's going to go, oh, hello, doctor. That's the basic scene. Right? We know that. Yeah. They know that. So any, whenever you've got a scene, you've got to find something new, something different, something unique to you about the way that you would look at that scene. Because then you're sending across a message about you, not about them. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if you do what they already know, you ain't going to get the gig. You've got to do something different a little bit unique and that'll that'll be that'll make a difference yeah you know? that's great that's great so yeah. that's a, you want to talk about the unified field yeah just a, well i guess we can touch on it quickly since yeah. we're you know uh, talking about something similar about energy um actors i i find through my experience that dealing with a lot of actors actors when they're not on yeah can often bring a a negative energy sometimes they can carry I know just generally speaking that a lot of creatives can, can, can suffer from depression and so on and sure. that's unavoidable sure. but um, in terms of uh, I have to stop you there it's not unavoidable uh, I, in um, my opinion it's absolutely not unavoidable in my opinion and I'm not a doctor well it certainly can be reduced it, it can be reduced well if you can reduce it you can eliminate it Okay. I, I believe well you shouldn't take it as a given no it's not a given yeah. it isn't a given you know, if you think about it, all that's going on is that there's, uh, generally speaking, now I'm not talking about medical conditions, because mm-hmm. there's a medical condition yeah. of depression, which is very different. Mm-hmm. But the, what we generally associate with the feeling of, you know, I feel a bit... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm down in the doldrums. Down in the doldrums. All that's going on is one of the, uh, uh, what's going on is uh, your physiological response, what your body is doing. Mm-hmm. You've got your thoughts, what's going on, and you've got your mind's uh, responses, and that pictures, patterns, sounds, and feelings. So if you, for example, if I asked you to, you know, if you try and be depressed, you know, you make your body curl over and you make your, you know, uh, shoulders bend over and you start saying to yourself inside your mind, you know, yeah, I'm really shit, I'm really crap at this, I'm never going to work ever again, yeah, my life sucks, I'm bad, I'm never going to live again, it's terrible. What do you think is going to happen? And then if you think about it, try in that state, try and be, try and be happy, try and be positive. And actually it's impossible because you can't. Because to be happy, you have to adopt a happy posture. You have to have a little bit lightness in your body. Mm. So if your body can change to being a little bit more up, then your breathing can start to come up, then your thoughts can start to change. And then you can recognize that your thoughts are just thoughts. Mm. One of the biggest things that I notice from, from coaching is that people believe that their thoughts are facts. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that they treat them. You know, if they say that your thought, you know, you, supposing you have a negative thought, and this is often one of the ones that, that actors have to create sort of depressive feelings, is they say, you know, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, it's impossible, 
I'm never going to get to see Maureen Hughes because all these other people are in the way. Yeah. And there's a kind of cycle that we can do. Yeah. That's just stuff. That's so so just it's a choice. It's a choice to be positive. Absolutely. It's so a choose total to be positive. Choice. Absolutely. But, but also it becomes, it has to become a habit. Because it's very easy to become a habit negatively, isn't it? Yeah. And it's harder to make a choice to go the other way. But actually, it's still just a choice. And it's still just a habit. And whenever you do something on a daily basis, on a regular basis, it becomes ingrained. And then what happens is your brain suddenly kicks in and it starts to take over. And you automatically start to generate you know, see, the, my, my thing is about, you know when you started to learn to drive a car? You remember when you start, you get in there for the first time, you sit down, yeah. and you go, oh, oh yeah. you get, there's the pedal, which one is that? What yeah. am I, ah, ah, and you yeah. can't do anything. Yeah. And it takes a good, what, week, two weeks before yeah. you start to, that's just the uncomfortable nature and the yeah. struggle at the beginning yeah. of your brain saying, what is this new thing you want me to do? That's the same with happiness, it's the same with positive thinking, it's the same with creativity, it's the same with confidence, it's the same with anything that you do that's new. You have to allow yourself to do something different and it will feel a little bit strange. Here's an exercise. You got time for this? Take your hands, get your hands together, right? give your hands a shake like that. And you can do this at home as well. And just put your hands, your fingers together, through your fingers through each other and put your thumbs one on top of the other. Okay. Now there, which thumb have you got on top? Left. 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 Yeah, we're all left. We're all lefties, okay? Now, switch your thumbs over for a second. Put the right one on top. How does that feel? Odd. Yeah, it's odd, yeah. Right. <laughs> right it's odd. Mm. Now, that's, all that's happening is your brain is sending a signal that this is something new. <laughs> this is something different. I don't recognize this. You can put it back. Put it back to the other way. <sighs> Don't do this to me. Oh, torture. Ah. The torture podcast. You didn't know it was going to happen. But isn't it weird? Yeah. And yet, if you think about it, all you're doing is exactly the same thing. Yeah. But you're just changing the way you do something. And by literally doing that, you're sending different signals inside your brain that start to shift what it is that you want to do. And over time, you can, if you want, have your thumb the other way around as well. All I'm, all I'm trying to suggest is that whatever you, whenever you want to do something new, you need to experience it, and it needs to be a bit uncomfortable at first. To get over that hump. You get through the hump. It's yeah. like giving up smoking. You know, you've got to get through those first couple of days or those first months. Yeah. Once you're through it, giving up smoking is easy. <laughs> it's the same with anything. If you want it, you've got to do it. You've built <laughs> up all this experience over over the years and um, it's great you, you have your course you're online and you're giving it for free and um, which is brilliant it's like you're kind of sending the elevator back down is there anyone along the way that really helped you oh god yeah oh yeah how long have you got <laughs> oh yeah um, well, uh, six minutes six minutes <laughs> <laughs> oh well I could oh well those well Martin Riley who I thought absolutely I would say my the, the guy the, the drama school the, the, the head there Hugh Crockwell, oh yeah, oh my god, he was absolutely inspirational. What um, were the kind of nuggets that you took? Up well, he, he gave me a great, he, he just basically, I think he made me feel that I could do things really. I think it's that. Yeah. Uh, Mike Alfreds, I worked I work with a company called Shared Experience for, t I did 12 shows with them. He would always make you do weird, strange, unusual things that would challenge you. 
and I used to hate them and resent them like crazy sometimes. But once you get through them, yeah, 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 yeah. they're good, you know. Yeah. Um, Ian Holm was a phenomenal actor I worked with who was said something, right, I was in a very difficult space at the time and he said something incredibly kind and encouraging to me at the time. That made a huge difference. Kieran Hines, uh, someone else, when I was at drama, I was at drama school with Kieran, he was yeah. in the year above me. Kieran was um, an inspiration then to those of us who were younger than him. He just was a, a decent person to everybody he was with. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's good. I like that. I'm gonna try and do that. I remember thinking that. So, Kieran, definitely. Um, Harold Pinter, yeah, my God. Uh, he came up to me, and this is a ego boost, but when we did um, what was it, the, the Homecoming in, in, on Broadway, he came up to me after his one night and said, I just want to say, Nick, you're the best Teddy ever. And we, there was, it was Teddy was the part I was yeah, playing, and there'd been the way, yeah. 20 roles there. And so for me wow. to hear that from him yeah. just kind of was like, yeah. You was, don't, was yeah, you don't know what that means. You don't know what that means. Yeah. And those kind of things are very important. Um, they, they can be really important. Yeah. Oliver Stone, so when we were doing Alexander, he came up to me in the middle of a scene, he said, uh, play this scene like be a star. Be a star. And I thought, what's he talking about? What does he, <laughs> what does he mean, be a star? What do you mean, be a star? Colin Farrell's a star. Yeah. I, I'm just the actor. And then I thought, oh, no, I know what he means. He means... Take the scene. Okay. Play the scene like it's yours. You know, own the scene. Really kind of like, you know, go for it. Yeah. You know, no holds barred. Just really go for it. And that's a great thing to do. Okay. Mm. That's a great thing to do for self-tapes and auditions, by the way. Okay. Just really own it. Have it. Yeah. Know that it's Make yours. Make a decision. Make a decision that it's yours. That you own it. Mm-hmm. And when you own it, you can go in there and you can really just do it. When you just do it, generally it's done. Mm. And then you kind of think, I didn't get it. Then you go, okay, fair enough. Didn't get it. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. But that's the other thing. Never ever spend time beating yourself up about the fact you didn't get a job. There's lots of work out there. Yeah. Loads. More actors spend way too much time going down the black hole of misery mm. than they do on creating whatever's coming next. Yeah. And that's you guys are very, very good examples of that. You know, you really do get this stuff going and you put it out there. You do it and you keep doing it. That's that's really extraordinary stuff. That's really, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'll just ask you one quick question. Sure. Um, which I think um, is kind of important to Irish filmmakers and actors um, because we're all in such a small pool, sure. small little pot. Sure. Um, how... From your perspective, you're involved in lots of different things. Obviously, your altruistic work, but uh, and your career as well. But how do you deal with rejection? I first of all don't accept it. I don't believe it exists. That's the first thing. And there's an exercise for that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Very quickly. Come here on. you go. Can you think of if you if I said to you, can you think of um, you know how many? This usually works in a bigger room. Uh, this is actually one of my coaches, Brendan Bouchard's exercise. It's not mine, so I'm just passing it on. And basically, he would say, like, you get in a room and say there's 20, 30 people. And if you say, okay, everyone put your hands up who's ever experienced rejection profoundly. And everyone puts their hand up. And then he says, how many have experienced, you know, three or four profound rejections? And probably 40, 50% of the room hands go down. 
then we say anyone, you know, with, with a, you know, 10 rejections, all the hands go down. But if you say to people, how many times have you received something good from people? Everybody's hands go up. When you say, how many times have you received something good from, say, 10 people? Most of the hands stay up. And if you say from 50 people, most of the hands stay up. And that's a fact that is proven over and over again. And what that means is, it depends what you're looking for. If you start searching, it's what we call in the brain, we call it what, what the, uh, the, the brain is actually searching for. When the brain is searching for, looking and finding support, positivity and encouragement, that's what you find. When you start looking for negativity, depression, upset, fear and misery, that's what you find. So I, on my site, I ban the word audition. Because I ask actors, I say, what does the word audition mean to you? To audit something. To audit. audit. To yeah, analyze. There you go. To analyze. They, but in terms of feelings, they tend to say things like misery, fear, depression, upset, rejection, loss, lack of earnings. You know, that's what an audition means under the surface. And if you're thinking about that when you go in for your audition or for your self-tape, that's what you're focusing on. Do you believe that that, that type of, that way of thinking is an inhibitor to yeah. the success of totally. even when you get a job? Totally, totally. So, so it's, not, it's not conducive necessarily no. to, to, I think, to see, I not think getting I, a part. It, it, you know, at the moment, I'm playing a murderer and a killer. And in the first couple of pages of, of Let the Right One In, I slit somebody's throat. Now, if I, you know, you, I need to get into that mindset to portray that character. So you need to get to, to, to know what that's about. You know, what, what, what does he think about life? What does he think about, you know, how easy is it to do that? You know, does he enjoy it? The answer is yes. Um, you know, that kind of thing, right? But when you come off the stage or off the self-tape, then everything else is still here. Then you've got to keep everything else moving. You've got to keep life kind of like bubbling along. That's when you, and then it becomes this reciprocal energy. And that, the reciprocal energy is, is, is the best thing of all. When somebody gives something to someone and it comes back, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And you kind of go, yeah. In every walk of life. In every walk of life, absolutely. Can I just give a final plug yeah, for my Yeah, of course you can. Right. Well, just, if any of you guys like to do it, I have a free screen acting uh, crash course, which you're very welcome to, to, to take. And the, the website is uh, HTTP. Well, actually, I won't do that bit. It's just www.nickdunning.com. So it's pretty straightforward. I'm not even an actor, but uh, I think I'd get something from this course. I, I work with lots of people. I mean, I, won't, I don't just work with actors. I really okay. don't, because yeah. I've got a client of mine at the moment who's a, he's an estate agent. Okay. Yeah. Right. In fact, I have two estate agents. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true. That's not surprising. Yeah. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. you're all right. <laughs> that's grand. And we're going to finish up anyway. So, yeah, one sec, one sec. Thanks so much, Nick. You're uh, welcome. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>